What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. Not only is this our first episode of 2022, but it is episode 102. In the studio with me today, got Jonathan Hall. Hey, hey, how's it going? It's good, man. And uh, I'll be your host, your co-host, your panel, your moderator, and your barista. I'm Will Button. And uh, so we're going to talk about blockchain today, huh? Yeah, I think that's a good topic because I don't know anything about it. I mean, I do know a little bit about it, but I don't know as much as I probably should know about it. But I think you might know a little bit more than me. I know a little bit. I've done I've done some work there. It would be fun to to learn about that. And maybe people listening in would learn something, too. Yeah. And and if not, that's okay. I want to learn everything. I'll be selfish. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast. And you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with top end devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to top end devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to top end devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, That's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. No, I think it's a good time to have that conversation because I think we're at a point where blockchain is going to start coming out of this fad era or this, this craze and start to do like tangible real world stuff. And so that's going to make getting it operational fall over into our world. So I think right now is a good time to start having this conversation and thinking about what that might look like and what we need to learn as far as new skills to support that. Yeah, it comes up all the time. I've actually interviewed for a job at a blockchain related company, which we can talk about if you want. Um, (laughs) It was a really crazy interview. I didn't take the job, by the way. But so yeah, I mean, it comes up all the time. And, you know, as we were talking briefly before we started recording, there's always the question I think a lot of people are asking about the, the ethics of, of blockchain and should I take a job in the industry? Is it, is it an ethical industry and stuff like that? So, you know, there's a technical aspect. How does it work? What would I do if I join a company doing blockchain? And then the, the other question, you know, is it ethical? Is it something I want to, to put my name on or earn money from? Yeah. As an employee or, or potentially as an investor or speculator? Yeah. I think. From the ethics perspective, the same thing can be said when choosing to work for or not work for a blockchain company, as is said when choosing to invest or not invest in a particular token. And that's, you know, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a legal advisor. Do your own research, do your own homework and don't, don't risk more than you can afford to lose. And because I mean, there's like, I've worked with you know, I've spent almost my entire career working with early stage startups 
But then there's like early stage startups and then there's early in air quotes stage startups. And I think outside of Ethereum and Bitcoin, and I'll draw the line there, outside of those two, um, I think everyone else is still in um, like early, early, early living in the basement, working out of dad's garage, early stage startup. So maybe, I don't know where we want to start, but one one question I think that would be really good to to nail down is the distinction between blockchain and cryptocurrency. Because they're often used interchangeably and they aren't really the same thing. Uh, yeah. C- c- do you want to explain that? And I, I could offer my own interpretation and you could tell me where I'm wrong because I'm probably wrong. <laughs> no, it's, um, I, could, I could be wrong as well because it's just one of those things there's lots of uh, lots of places for that to go. So blockchain itself is the distributed ledger technology, right, of um, taking transactions or events and then writing them out to the shared ledger. And then you have some type of mechanism where some authoritative individuals agree on those transactions and then write them to this ledger. And then after that, they become immutable. They can't be changed. And the ledger, the blockchain ledger, is distributed across all of those validator nodes and anyone else who wants to run a node so that it has high availability, reliability, redundancy, all of that kind of stuff. So blockchain is the underlying technology that allows cryptocurrencies to be built. And so cryptocurrency is a an application on the blockchain where they set up a certain set of rules and transactions and financial status to operate a, what's the word that they use? An asset, but then you can determine, you know, whether it's a, you know, a fixed asset or an inflationary asset or a deflationary asset, all of that kind of stuff. So a blockchain itself has nothing to do with currency or money or finance or whatever. It's just... It's basically a, a mathematically, cryptographically signed series of events that occurs. Yeah, Is that correct? absolutely. That's that's and, and totally correct. Perhaps the simplest one to think of that, uh, at least I think is simple, and I think this applies to the metaphor, is Git. Git is my favorite blockchain. It's not crypto. It is cryptographically signed in the sense that every commit has a SHA on it, so you can verify that it has not been changed since it was committed. It doesn't have the automatic authority and, and voting sort of system built in. That's that's usually done manually by humans doing pull request reviews or something like that. Yep. But as far as the, the ledger, you know, you could think of your Git repository as a blockchain ledger that happens to track source code rather than Bitcoin transactions. Is, is that a fair analogy? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good analogy to like, because so, I think that's the key is like tying it to something that you already know so you can yeah. make it relatable. So with with a with Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever other coin you're talking about, rather than storing source code in that blockchain, we're storing a financial ledger that says Jonathan sent Will five Bitcoin. Wouldn't that be the day? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or whatever other transactions, and then and then you get smart contracts and and. Are NFTs part of blockchain or is that something else? Yeah. So NFTs are an application that runs on blockchain. You can run them on the Ethereum blockchain. And I think there's some of the other blockchains you can run them on, but I think most of the activity right now is happening on Ethereum. Yeah. Okay. So cryptocurrency, smart contracts, which I don't know if we need to talk about those in detail today, NFTs, and potentially other applications can all be run on a blockchain type of network. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. And I think smart contracts are a big part of that conversation, you know, especially for us in the DevOps space, because, uh, you know, a smart contract is a portable virtual machine running on the Ethereum blockchain. And so that's where you implement, like, that's where you get out of the world of, of the cryptocurrency as a financial asset and more into using blockchain as, uh, as a distributed ledger for applications. You know, because in a smart contract, it's, uh, it's a, you know, basically you can think of it as like a virtual machine. You define, you write your code in that. And when somebody calls that smart contract on the blockchain, that code executes and then carries out whatever functions it's programmed to do. That sounds so confusing to me. I've read about smart contracts before and I just, you know, it's, it's still too abstract for me to really wrap my head around it. Yeah. Let me see if I can explain it. I'll, I'll, preface this with this is a really bad example. You would never do this on the blockchain. And okay. we can go into why in just a minute. But let's say that I ran a uh, a car a car rental place and you wanted to rent a car, then I could store that data in a smart contract out on the blockchain. You could go to a website that pulls that data, look at the available cars, select which one you wanted to rent, pay for it using your cryptocurrency wallet. And then whenever you showed up at my physical location, show me that blockchain transaction where I would be able to use that and refer to whichever car it was that you rented and uh, confirm that you are the right person who reserved that car. Okay. So I say that that's a bad example for a couple of reasons. One, we already have software that does that really, really well, right? Like we've solved the whole online shopping problem. I don't see any value for humanity in solving that with another programming language. The other thing is the blockchain's really not good at storing that type of data. You know, the blockchain has Ethereum specifically. And, and a lot of the other ones that are trying to compete with Ethereum they have a very primitive uh, set of programming features available, you know, so like things like storing, you know, if, if I were a nationwide car rental place, storing 2 million cars in the blockchain, and then every time you wanted to see which cars are available, trying to iterate through that list of 2 million things in the blockchain would take would take forever not to mention you know the transaction fees that you have to pay for that so that exact example is is a bad example but i think the part that might be useful from that is i continue to operate my existing car rental place in web 2.0 style and then you come along you rent one maybe there's some valid use case for storing the fact that you rented a car from me in the blockchain. So now that's out in the public ledger and it's validated by all these independent validators. And you can perhaps use that transaction record to access other goods and services outside of my car rental agency. All right. So we've, we've <laughs> given a very basic framework on what the different blockchain technologies are. Are there other common applications or, or, are cryptocurrency, NFTs, and smart contracts kind of the, the big ones? Those are the big ones. And I, with the smart contracts, you know, people are trying to solve a lot of 
different problems with smart contracts. But I think one of the key things for me in determining whether or not it's a good fit for the blockchain is, uh, is are we doing something here that we're not already doing somewhere else, right? Like it's got to be value add, not a replacement. Is that a good segue into the question of cryptocurrency? Because you know, I hear people talk about cryptocurrency as this new decentralized, governmentless way to do transactions. But on the when you think about it, who needs that? It's <laughs> I know a lot, a lot of people. People know where I'm going with this, and they already have the rebuttals ready. But who needs that? It, it's usually criminal organizations. And I, and I know that that gets all the attention and the people tell me that that's just hype. It's not really what's happening. But who actually needs this if it's not criminals? You could make the argument that the current custodians of our monetary supply are not making just and moral actions with their custodial duties. And so using a decentralized currency sort of like takes that control away from them or limits their ability to you do that by buying gold bullion you can yeah yeah that's yeah so i I think it's uh, obviously i can't do an e-transaction with gold bullion right Uh. yeah and so i I think that's the key you know that's one of the keys to it i always say that's the key and then list like 10 things (laughs) (laughs) but I, i don't think cryptocurrency is a one size fits all solution, right? I think it's part of a suite of tools. Like if if you feel that the problem is the current custodians of the money supply are not behaving ethically, then cryptocurrency may be one of many tools to help rein that in, you know, another being gold, another being silver, real estate, so different the things. Picasso like that. I stole and it's sitting in my back shed, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Should I tell my story about my 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 blockchain interview? You should it's inter- because it's that's hilarious. <laughs> that's hilarious. Just so everyone knows, we were talking. We were going to have this conversation last week, but then we ended up talking about something else. But yeah, this is like the segue into when interviews go bad, <laughs> and it also segues into some of the, your insights about working in the in the uh, blockchain industry. So I, I interviewed at a company. I will not name the company or anybody who works there. Because it was a bad story. But I, I interviewed a, a year or two ago at a, a company that needed a, a DevOps SRE type person. And what the company did, I guess, is they hosted blockchain services. So they didn't run their own blockchain, but they hosted nodes that other people would rent from them to run their blockchain. So if you wanted to run your own Ethereum network, you could tra- uh, contract this company to set up your 100 Ethereum nodes or, or whatever. And I think they supported many different blockchains, not just Ethereum. But I, it was a long interview process. Like I interviewed like four or five times, but I eventually met the CEO who was supposedly a technical CEO. And I've, I've actually written about this. So we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can read the questions that he asked me. But they were ridiculous. The, the first question he asked me was, so Jonathan, do you use an iPhone or an Android? I was like, um, that's a strange question, but okay, maybe it's going somewhere. I said, I use an Android. Okay, uh, do you ever take pictures with your phone? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what format does it store those pictures in? JPEG? Why doesn't it use BMP or TIFF? Uh, well, it, it, it uses a compressed format to, to, to save space, you know? And, okay. Uh, now, when you take a picture, it, it stores other information in that picture too, not just the photograph, but like, the type of camera you use and the type, the date and time and maybe your GPS coordinates. How does it store that information in an image? Like, you mean like the EXIF data? Yeah, 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 that's it. Okay. And how does it know where you are? And he just went on and on and on and on through this stuff. 
And after after this, he asked me, so imagine, Jonathan, that you dug a hole in your in your at your house straight through the center of the earth. Where would you come out on the other side? Why why would you care about this? And then now imagine that you ran a fiber optic cable through that hole and you pinged the other side. How long would it take for that ping to to you know? Oh my gosh. Several times I asked him, like, I, I don't know why this is relevant to the job, but here's my best guess. Sometimes I said outright, I don't know the answer. Like when he asked me the RGB color value for yellow, I was like, <laughs> I, I don't know. If I ever care, I'll look it up on Google. I mean, I, I said that. I, I started getting snarky with this guy. He was really oh, I'm sure. Me. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, again, I'll put the link. Uh, if you want to read all the terrible questions he asked me that I could remember, I wrote, I wrote them down right after I hung up. I was like, this is going to be a good story. I have to write this down. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll put a link to those questions. If you want to know how not to do an interview or, or if you see an interview going badly, you just want to throw it to the trash bin with style. You can use those questions. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm curious, is this company still in business? Do you know? I don't know. I think so, but uh, I don't yeah. know. They, they weren't yeah. really big. The, the other, the other mind blowing thing that, that happened, it was actually interviewing one of their more technical people, the, their head of engineering or, or something. He made the point to me that they don't believe in automating critical systems. Right. Because uh, humans are much better at accurately he said reproducing they, they like tasks. To, <laughs> yeah. He said they like to automate certain things, but they don't want to automate the things that are error prone. And I was like, I challenged him. I said, I think that's the wrong approach. The, uh, exactly the opposite approach. He said, well, uh, how would you feel about driving a self-driving car? I said, I'd be much happier driving a self-driving car than driving myself around because I know how terrible humans are at driving and getting into accidents. Right. And if you <laughs> if you ever question that, just come to Arizona during the winter months. <laughs> you'll, Do they you'll have leave. winter in Arizona? We they have winters in other areas of the country, which is what drives people here during uh, the winter. And so people who how do I gracefully say this? People who may not drive a whole lot find themselves in the desert where driving is the only way to get around. And so their their driving skills are a bit off, yeah, you know, right. a bit rusty. And uh, so you throw them in the desert where everyone's driving 80 or 85 miles an hour and it, it produces a little uh, stress. For the yeah. daily commute. <laughs> Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Well, anyway, so that's my brush with with uh, blockchain. It's really only one data point, maybe two, but there's certainly correlated data points uh, because that CEO probably hired the guy who didn't believe in automation. But when we were talking last week, you, you said that you started to talk about your experience working with blockchain companies. I'm curious how that relates. I hope it's better. Yeah, yeah it, it has been better than, yeah, definitely been better than that. Although there have been challenges as well. And that's one of the, one of the things I'm really glad you brought up the whole ethics thing early on. And we'll tie this back to that. We're at, we're at a stage, you know, where 
there's a big blockchain cryptocurrency frenzy. You know, whenever I first started doing this a few years back, we couldn't even use the word um, blockchain or cryptocurrency. So everyone was using the term DLT, distributed ledger technology, because if you use the term blockchain, you would get banned on Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever you were. Wow. I didn't because, know that was a thing. Yeah, because, and it, I mean, it, it wasn't unjustified. There were so many people that were just spamming every social media platform out there trying to get people to invest in their, their cryptocurrency that they made. Or in a lot of cases, it wasn't even their cryptocurrency that they made. They wanted people to invest in the PDF describing the cryptocurrency that they were going to make just as soon as you invested your money. And so a lot of people were seeing really high gains because some some legitimate cryptocurrencies were pulling gains of like 100% or more. And people were, I got to get in on that and didn't know how to do their homework. So they ended up losing a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of those companies hired a lot of technical people you know, in the, the ops space, the dev space, the DevOps space, but they weren't really, you know, didn't have a really long-term future. And so that's where I think I want to kind of turn this all back into the ethics question that you posed earlier. Like if you find yourself in an interview with a company that was asking you questions like you, like the, the one guy was asking you, <laughs> that's a red flag, right? Granted, they're technical questions. The interviewer may have had a specific reason for asking that line of questioning, but they probably should have elaborated on that. So, yeah. So just like an investment, do your homework, research it, because I think blockchain and, and this whole industry is cool. I think we're going to see real world value added applications come out of it. But in the meantime, there's going to be a lot of failures. And if you want to work in this industry, and get a paycheck because those two are not always combined together. You know, you've got to be pretty diligent in the interview process with the company, you know, not only about the technical requirements, what the job description's like, but dig into who the, uh, who the executive leadership is, what their background is, what the funding status of the company is, what the run rate is, and, and all that kind of stuff so that you make the right decision for not only your career, but also in your responsibilities to feeding your family. All right. And I can tell you that just a really, really quick story back whenever I first got into this, like just into tech in general, not even blockchain. I was working for a startup, although they weren't really called startups at the time. They were just new companies. This was in what was I think this was in like 1997, but it was this company and I started working for them. And they, it was back in the day when they handed out physical checks and you took your check to the bank and deposited it, you know, and then I go home one day after work, my wife's just in tears because my paycheck had bounced and go into the office and I'm like, oh my God, it's an accounting mistake. And uh, I was like, oh, that sucks. So they wrote a new check, you know, and said, oh, it'll never happen again, except it did, <laughs> you know, same story. And then it happened. Uh, I, that's the second time I was like, you know, we can't let this happen again. Hope you guys understand. Like, oh yeah, we understand. It never happened again. And then the third time, I was like, well, we had this chat, so let me help motivate you. And I took action to ensure that no further checks bounced for that organization. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, the reason I, I tell that story is because um, it can happen. It is possible for companies to 
to overextend themselves. And uh, there's only certain places where they can control their cash flow and employee salaries is one of those places. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about like we've talked about like a little bit about what blockchain is, what cryptocurrency is, the horror stories of it. But there's also like a whole operational DevOps side of it. Because what I think is going to happen, here's my prediction for blockchain, is we're going to have, you know, there'll be the, the core blockchains, Ethereum, and then, you know, something like Binance or Polkadot. You know, some of these will survive into long-lived blockchains. But I think the way that we're going to operate is we're probably not going to operate directly on those chains a whole lot. What I s expect to happen is we'll be operating a lot of private chains. And so a private chain is like your own mini blockchain that's just run by your company, right? And then you'll have certain events that you want to expose to the public blockchain. And so there'll be this bridge that allows people to query the public blockchain for a specific piece of knowledge that you choose to expose on your private blockchain. It's very similar to a firewall, right? On my firewall, I have a web server and I have an email server. So I'm going to expose port 80 and port 25 and then all the other ports get closed. So we'll, we'll see something very similar to that, I think. So the operational skills that uh, will be relevant to those of us in, in uh, DevOps is, you know, launching blockchain nodes and launching validators or miners and operating those in a private network and setting up the logging, the monitoring and the auditing so that we know which nodes are healthy, which nodes are offline and that we meet certain SLAs as far as being able to handle a certain number of transactions or ensure that our transactions are being processed within X number of milliseconds and then managing that bridge both the operation of that bridge and the security of that bridge and what data we choose to expose to the public blockchain. And I think we'll see that hap that start to take the place of APIs. You know, like right now, if I want to get GitHub data, I need a GitHub API key and then I need to use their endpoints. But I think what we'll see is certain events will just be worth exposing on the blockchain. And then as long as I know the address of that, then I'll just call that and get it. And then I can continue to operate whether GitHub is up or GitHub is down or GitHub goes bankrupt and completely disappears from the face of the earth. How is that different than just, say, a backup or keeping a copy of the data you care about? I mean, what, why the blockchain rather than Dropbox? Because Dropbox has to be like if you have your data backed up to Dropbox, then assuming that you want to back, get that backup copy, you have to do something different than what you would real time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's like uh, it's like high availability data, but highly available because it's across hundreds of thousands of computers across the internet. All right, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think one of the cool use cases, like because everyone's looking at NFTs, going, mm -hmm. "Well, right click, save it, save as, dumbass," right? <laughs> which is true for the image itself. But I think one of the cool things that might come out of that is, uh, let's say you play a game, right? And you're playing the game and you level up to where you get a custom avatar or a custom skin for that game. 
Well, instead of storing that in the game, if you make that an NFT, then whenever you go and play your second favorite game that's made by a completely different company, you can go in, all of a sudden there's your new skin from the other game or your new avatar. And so it gives you the ability to use that in multiple games, but also at the same time you own that NFT, right? It's not in the game company's A server or game company B's servers. And uh, and someone could see that, they could see your NFT and do a right-click save as, but when they log into the game, they don't hold the NFT, so they still wouldn't get to use that avatar. And, and so I think so, that's so, kind so of... So the, the game can essentially validate. You said you have avatar whatever, and they can validate, do you actually own that? And, oh, no, actually you don't, because you just copied it, or you sold it to somebody else, or or whatever. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So buying a tweet probably isn't very valuable. I mean, unless you find sentimental value in it. If you want to buy Kent Beck's first tweet, then, you know, that's fine. But but there's actually a practical application to NFTs is what you're saying, uh, yeah. especially like with, with digital digital assets. I mean, that, that's a pretty broad term, but, you know, in-game assets or, or whatever, you know, that, that, that does seem to make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the other real-world tie-ins that it could have is, uh, let's say you buy a Rolex watch, right? And we already talked about how keeping my inventory of Rolex watches on the blockchains, a bad idea, but registering the transaction where you bought that Rolex from me might be a good thing because then if your Rolex breaks, anyone who's authorized to work on Rolex watches can validate that this is a real Rolex and you are the real owner of that Rolex. And at the same time, you didn't have to go to Rolex's website and fill out their warranty registration form which also happens to CC the marketing department who then proceeds to email you every single day telling you about all the Rolexes that you didn't buy. It sounds like you haven't had a negative experience with Rolex. (laughs) No, not really. Actually, that that one probably just came up because uh, I'm notorious about not managing my emails. And uh, last I had, uh, I think there were like 50,000 unread emails in my inbox and I don't know how many red ones in addition to that, but last week took a little time off. And um, a lot of people would say I cleaned out my inbox. I didn't. I just opened up a new email account. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the guy who decides he doesn't want to clean his house. So he just buys a new one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is the budget friendly version of that. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of a Saturday night, I think it was Saturday Night Live or, or Mad TV, one of those sorts of shows. They had the disposable toilet. <laughs> yeah. Guy uses the toilet, he's done, he gets out a sledgehammer, knocks the porcelain into bits, <laughs> puts it in the trash, and installs a new one. <laughs> so, supposing somebody listening wants to learn about this, they want to do some, some blockchain stuff, they're, they're not just going to go buy some Bitcoin. How can they how can they get involved? I mean, I know, I know there are some open source projects. Uh, Hyperledger comes to mind. I imagine there's others. What should you do to to learn about this? What can you do on your own? Can you set up a node? Can you build your own blockchain? What sorts of options are there if you're interested in exploring this? Yeah, for sure. Consensus, the blockchain company, actually has some really good resources out there. I went through their uh, certified Ethereum developer program a couple years back. That was really well. You can even just start. So here's, let me clarify this. I would focus on Ethereum. Like my first day, the first one, I would focus on Ethereum. And you'll have a hundred people 
telling you all of their reasons of why these other 100 blockchains are better and it's the Ethereum killer and it's going to blah, 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 which may be true. But right now, nobody's beating Ethereum. So spend your time and effort there. And then as these other blockchains prove that they're worthy and going to stick around, then we'll address the learning and education on those. So I would start with Ethereum and you can go to the Ethereum website and see how to launch a node. And you can actually launch one at home. You can run it on your own workstation just to sit there and, and watch it run. That's a good exercise. Hyperledger, um, you mentioned, they've got a lot of good documentation. That one's interesting because that one is specifically for running side chains or private blockchains that we were talking about earlier. Um, and so I think that's a good add-on exercise after learning how to run and manage Ethereum nodes. Because one of the things that's happening with Ethereum 2, hopefully in 2022, is they're going to add side chains to the Ethereum platform, which is kind of like putting Hyperledger on top of Ethereum mm -hmm. and then defining what data flows back and forth between the two. One of the things you'll see when you start to build out Ethereum nodes, and I think that's why we're going to be so critical in the long-term success of this, is all of their documentation and resources say, Okay, if you want to run an Ethereum node, run this bash command, uh, now edit this file, now run this bash command. Okay, if you want to stop it, now hit control C. It's like none of this stuff is operationalized. There has been a few attempts to build like Ansible playbooks, you know, and different things like that, but that's all very, very early. And so I think that's why it's a good exercise for us to start doing now to see how they're doing it now. And then we know how to do DevOps stuff, and then we can start bridging that gap. Nice. So basically, it's a it's a field ripe for some some DevOps gurus to come in and, and make things more automated and, and more more slick. I think so. Yeah. Um, I think it's still a bit early for that, mm -hmm. but I think now is the right time to start learning that. Okay. And then, as a couple of these companies, you know, start becoming dependent on their uh, their integration or their blockchain capabilities. That'll be the time for us to step in, do our thing. And um, and if we start studying now, we'll already be well-versed in what, what we should be looking for and doing. Mm -hmm. Nice. What else? I don't know. I, I kind of, I mean, we could keep talking, but I think that's like really a good, good segue yeah. to, or a good, uh, I guess it's not a segue, a good breaking point. That's the right word. I mean, I guess it's a segue to the end, so. Technically, yeah. it's a segue. Every every end is some is a <laughs> new beginning or, or something poetic, right? Right. <laughs> so I'll ask you since you're here with me. Was that helpful? Yes. Okay. Cool. Yes, it was. I mean, I have I have serious ethical qualms with cryptocurrency. Yeah. Which we don't need to get into here, but I I do believe that there are non cryptocurrency applications of blockchain that are exciting. They don't get the hype right now. You know, everybody's talking about their new ICO or you know whatever yeah. thing, and, and that gets all the all the headline attention. I'm waiting for that to die down, and right. for us to focus on the the interesting application. For and I, actually, you know, I, I told you I only interviewed at one company for blockchain. It's not quite true. I actually interviewed another one. I actually was given an offer, and I almost took it. They were doing some healthcare, some some health record in, uh, stuff that was loosely related to blockchain. So they were using blockchain for transmission of healthcare records and, and stuff like that. 
in a secure but anonymous way so that you could transfer data without exposing the, the patient's identity and you know it was this sort of smoke and mirrors magic mumbo jumbo stuff right um, so so that's an app an example where I think blockchain application is exciting and and valid and useful and like you were saying earlier it helps to advance humanity in ways that we haven't already invented <laughs> yeah exactly uh, un- unlike in my view Bitcoin which is which I mean we, we've had currency for thousands of years and <laughs> So I don't see that much value there. I mean, maybe there's some corner cases where there's some value, like you were saying, if you don't trust the government or something like that. But it's not a fundamentally new concept that, in, no. in that sense. No. So It's um, just a new version of the uh, seashells. Exactly. Exactly. But I agree with you on the, the whole ICO and the most cryptocurrencies. Like as a currency, I think most uh, most activity in that area is a form of gambling for people who are too lazy to go to the casino. You know, and that's that's one of my ethical qualms of cryptocurrency is is the way that it's being used primarily. I know that this isn't the only way to use yeah. it, but the primary way it's used right now is for speculation, which is uh, literally be- making money on someone else's misfortune. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which I I, I don't I, I mean that that's what speculation is, especially on a, on an asset that has no tangible value. And if you're speculating on pork bellies, you know maybe somebody eats those pork bellies and at least they get full <laughs> even if they lost money on it but you can't you can't eat bitcoin so right you can at least dra- drive by the farm and point at the pigs and go there's my pork bellies <laughs> look kids get a picture so but that's another episode on, on adventures and ethics not right. <laughs> <laughs> well the good news is i'll never be invited on that podcast so i can keep that slot open <laughs> yes cool Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All right. I guess uh, you got picks. I, I do, actually. Oh, My first on. pick is actually related to a, the topic of seashells and money, which is, of course, related to Bitcoin and all this stuff. It's a book I read a few months ago, and it was really fascinating. It's a long book. I listened to the audiobook version. It's called Debt, The First 5,000 Years. It's by David Graeber, and it's actually much more interesting than the title would let, lead on. It's really about the history of money, which... To summarize, without going too long, because it's a long book, we have this concept that the, that money started with with barter, and then we decided to upgrade to from barter to to fungible currencies like seashells or gold coins or whatever. This book makes a strong case that that's not actually how money started, and rather money started with the idea of social debt. That is, that I owe you a favor, you owe me a favor, and oh, wow. ultimately, ultimately, even that my son was killed unjustly, and you owe me a life. Oh, so man. the idea of money is in- intimately tied to the idea of human life and even slavery. So it's a fascinating book. If you think that barter came first and then coins and so on, and now Bitcoin is just the next obvious evolution of that, this book is going to blow your mind. It's a fascinating listen or read. Uh, if you like history, if you like money, I highly recommend it. That's my first pick. My my second pick, I was listening I was listening to music today on Spotify and I I love listening to old ladies music, but I, I decided I wanted something nice. different. 
I flipped over to Weird Al Yankovic for a little while. <laughs> and I, I was just thrown back to my high school and junior high days. So my, my, my second pick is my favorite Weird Al Yankovic album of all time, which is Bad Hair Day. Great music on there. I, I know those songs better than I know the original versions, which is probably <laughs> sad, but I am a nerd, so it's okay. <laughs> oh, nice. Right those are my on. picks for the week. Excellent. All right. So mine is going to be related to the topic that we've been talking about here today, blockchain and crypto. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously listen to and enjoy podcasts. Well, at least you did before starting this one. Assuming that that's still true. There's, um, Sorry, we ruined it for you. <laughs> right? My bad. <laughs> no, there's a podcast, the Tim Ferriss podcast. He has one with Naval Ravikant and Chris Dixon on there. And they talk about cryptocurrency and they talk about, you know, a lot of the same stuff that we talked about here today, but they're actually experts on the the subject. So it would be a great follow-up to this one if you enjoyed that conversation. I want to hear like from some guys who like have their pulse or their fingers on the pulse for some things of what their expectations and anticipations for the future of blockchain are nice yeah cool well then uh i think that's a wrap and uh enjoy the rest of your day all right we'll see you all next time bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more